Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode on the Made For More podcast. This is episode nine and we have got a very special guest again with us today. It is Justin Locker. So welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. It's really good to be here. So Justin, what I would love to know and how we normally kick off these interviews is tell me a little bit about where you've been and where you're going. Cool. So I've been in Adelaide my whole life. I grew up in the northeastern suburbs in Windsor Gardens, um, to be precise. You know, we weren't really well-to-do, a really well-to-do family, but we never really went without either. My parents are both blue collar, but very hard workers. So for me, you know, when I reflect on where I came from, you know, I came from not the most privileged upbringing, but one where hard work was really valued and and respect for hard work was really valued. So I took that all the way through high school, which was a very public high school. Um, and as an academic kid in a very public high school, I was a bit of a, stuck out like a bit of a sore thumb. And so I took all that all the way through uni and ended up getting into mathematics and statistics. That was somewhere where I felt, you know, kind of my my need for organisation and proper order and exactness was really well met. And that basically led into a career at the ABS, so the Australian Bureau of Stats. I've been there now for for 20 years in a variety of roles. Um, I've really enjoyed the huge range of roles that I've had available to me at the ABS. So I've done analytical roles, um, programming roles, but more recently, lots of leadership roles. So team leadership, um, colleague leadership and those types of things. So for me, that's where I'm going. I really love diversity and inclusion, inclusive leadership. I'm really, my my mission stick is really around culture change now. So I've, I've learned that I can have, you know, real impact on my, um, uh, the staff that I'm directly responsible for, but I'm looking to increase that sphere of influence and, and really push for proper cultural change. So yeah, so that's my big passion. That is so good. So I know that you are very passionate about inclusivity and diversity, which is what sure. we're going to be talking about today. Day. And of course, leadership is my jam. So this is going to be pretty fun. So we're going to get to cross over both inclusive leadership and see some of the magic that and the work that you're doing already within your team. Let's get with it. Right. So to kick off, I guess, can you actually just unpack for our listeners what inclusivity is to you and what it means, I guess, holistically? Um, inclusion and diversity often come together when these conversations happen. And I once heard a speaker t- say that diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice and this for me yeah this for me was really powerful right and what this quote was about was that people are all different right we all have different needs and different goals and different challenges and we may be disadvantaged in different ways so some of us are disadvantaged by being born with a disability or aboriginal or gay or female you know these are all characteristics that come with societal disadvantage but these are facts and we can't deny that we're all different and have different requirements Mm -hmm. 
elements. Mm. So that's diversity, right? And what this speaker went on to talk about was inclusion is the choice that we make when we deal with diversity. So this for me is one of my core principles, right? Is to say, well, everyone's different. So how can I, as a leader, a manager of staff or a leader of people, make sure that their needs are met and that they feel that they've got an environment to be productive and rewarded? And so for me, separating out those two things to go, well, diversity is something I can't avoid. Diversity is not something that we can choose, but we can choose to be inclusive. And that for me is really empowering, right? And that's one of the first things I say to all of my emerging leaders is to say, well, you can choose to make your team an inclusive one. Yeah, absolutely. And we've all got a choice with the actions and the way that we behave in the workplace and even outside of the workplace. Absolutely. I love that. So diversity is a fact and inclusion is a choice. That is bang on. I love it. So what actually led you to become such a strong advocate and have inclusivity and diversity be such as, you know, such a pillar of what it is? You know, you've mentioned that Mm. it's your core principle. What what led you to recognise that this is, you know, the way of the future? So I've had over a long career, I've really developed as a leader. And I started off as somebody that was, you know, I was a statistical analyst in our statistical methodology section, right? So this is not necessarily... Sounds like a real people person, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Well, exactly. You've absolutely um, picked up where I was going there because this is not an area where we have great, um, you know, studying mathematics and statistics is not always associated with great emotional intelligence, right? So, so coming up through that kind of upbringing in my organisation was really interesting for me because as a fairly outgoing, extroverted person, I did buck the trend a little bit and I was able to, as a methodologist, really relate to the people I was working with across the ABS in a way that other methodologists weren't able to. They, you know, just simply weren't strong in that kind of people engagement area. And that was that was really important for me to kind of go, well, actually, I'm a bit different, but there's advantages in this, not just for me and my career, but as well for our um, organisation. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my first, uh, you know, personal experience with being a bit different and and kind of being uh, feeling a bit different. But then the real turning point for me was meeting uh, a young man uh, who came into my team, an Aboriginal man who is also disabled, blind, uh, legally blind and deaf for that matter. He suffers from Usher syndrome, which yeah, is right. um, hearing and vision impairment, as well as being an Aboriginal man. So he yeah. was really, you know, when you're talking about challenges in life, really pushing it uphill. So he taught me a lot about what it means to be disadvantaged. And he was great. He was a really productive member of our team, but that didn't mean that he hadn't overcome more challenges um, than a lot of other people. So him coming out and saying I'd made a huge impact on his life, a positive impact, mm. and had given him a workplace where he felt really productive. For me, that was really powerful. I thought, wow, I can really make a difference to people and enrich their lives here. And what a privilege that is. Yeah. Um, diversity and inclusive leadership was really what kind of captured that power for me. I thought if I can make my environment, the environment that I can control an inclusive one, mm. people, I have a positive impact on people. I just feel really privileged to do that. So I thought, why wouldn't I do more of this, right? It's, yeah. you know, yeah, I, it, it was it was a real, real kind of shining light moment. Yeah. I love that so much because, as you know, I work with a lot of leaders and the reason I'm so passionate about leadership is because we, as leaders, are in a position of influence and you can use that for good, you can use that for evil, but what we're trying to do and cultivate and raise, you know, raise awareness throughout all industries, all sectors, all levels, is that we can actually have such a positive impact on people. And I think what happens when you're in a leadership position is you're either there by title or by passion. That's usually how you end up there. Correct. But the impact that we have on our teams and on our team members actually filters outside of the workplace and it can have some fundamental positive impacts to people around the way that they see the world, the way 
way they experience life purely on being a connected, empathetic. um, And, you know, like what you said, actually recognising that EQ is a huge part of what it means to be a leader and really connecting and and being involved in your team's life. So I think that's amazing and like such a good reinforcement. So would you say that working um, with that particular team member was the starting point for recognising the impact that inclusivity had or the choice that you had? Absolutely. Certainly it was the conscious point for me where I've gone, oh, I can be deliberate and overt around my inclusive leadership and that is more powerful than kind of being softer about it. So I think to that point I was still an inclusive leader but not a deliberately inclusive leader. You know, a bit out there. Yeah, you know what I mean? So kind of I'd be the sort of guy that, you know, people come into the team and it's, you know, acknowledging people for their different, you know, being a little, having a bit of banter or, you know, respecting if somebody's a bit quieter and those types of things. But having Ricky come in and particularly around Indigenous disadvantage, it's not something that you can see or yeah. make tangible adjustments for, right? So if somebody's blind or your vision impaired, if I'm using the correct language, um, you know, they need often physical um, changes to the environment, a bigger screen or, you know, more high contrasting um, carpet or um, things like mm-hmm. that. Sometimes they might need a bit more time to read through documents. These are all things that you can write down and define, right? But what what Ricky taught me was, you know, being an Indigenous man, there were disadvantages that he had experienced, which were generational, and you can't describe them or draw a picture for them. And for him, you know, this was these were things like his parents being disadvantaged growing up, and so him, you know, having uncertainty or unpredictability in his life, and that leading him to not be as committed at school, for example. And and those types of things. And these things, um, working with him, I came out and acknowledged that and, you know, challenged people that said, no, hang on, Ricky's fine. You know, he wasn't stolen or, you know, he wasn't persecuted by Captain Cook when he landed on our shores. So, but I'm like, no, but that's not the point. The point is, you know, this stuff happens through generations. So, so he's trying to show me that invisible disadvantage exists and it's better to talk about it and acknowledge it than it is to kind of go, well, I don't understand it. So I'm going to kind of ignore it. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with with um, Brené Brown's work. Have you heard of Brené Brown? Vaguely, yes. Vaguely. Yeah. So she talks a lot around shame and mm. blame and all of that type of thing. And one of the lines that she says is, you know that movie Gremlins from the 80s? <laughs> yeah, totally. It was that gremlins can't live in the light. So things like shame, if you start talking about it, it can't mm. actually live or fester, which mm. I imagine is very similar to what you're saying with your team member there, is when you start talking yeah. and acknowledging this generational disadvantage, it, it sheds some light on it, but it also means that it can't kind of fester in a dark corner and be left mm. there as an unspoken gremlin, so yeah. to speak. So that's amazing. That's totally that's totally correct, right? And the same goes for mental health. This is something where I'm I'm really passionate about this at the moment. I mean, all the time, but I think there's a real a real gap in how we deal with mental health in the workplace, particularly in an office culture where you know a huge majority of our workplace injuries are mental health related, you know, stress yeah. related, anxiety related, yeah. and for me. I'm a middle-aged white man, but I and so I'm I've I'm, I've got a lot of white privilege and um, gender privilege, um, but I also suffer from um, depression and anxiety, and mm. I've I've lived with this for ten or twelve years now. I've probably lived with it my whole life, but I've been treated for it for the last ten to twelve years, and the combination of therapy and, and medication. And I've been really really open about that because this is another invisible kind of barrier yeah. for people. And that what you're saying there, Ali, is so true around if. It's, it, it, you know, can't live in the light. You know, I found the more I talk about it and the more people talk about their own mental health challenges, 
Jesus, mental health impacts one in five people, right? So it's there and almost certain, you know, any manager is going to come across it in their career. It's talking about it, acknowledging it. People might need a bit of extra flexibility in the workplace or, you know, a little bit less predictable leave or different treatment in meetings or, you know, a yeah. different way to converse in meetings. But the way we don't know about it unless we talk about it and we create a safe space for it. So how do you think, speaking on mental health, how do you think then that as a leader you would bring this up with your team? Like, would you do it as an individual thing, check in on their mental health or as a group or have, you know, the, the traditional open door policy? Yeah. It probably goes a bit more deeper than that. What would be your advice yeah. on how you actually approach mental health? It's really tough, right? This is a really tough one because there's so much stigma around mental health and despite all of the information that's available publicly and these wonderful advocates um, that we have in Australian society around um, promoting awareness for mental health and, and treatment for mental health. And just on that little segue here, I watched, I'm a huge Powderfinger fan, or I'm a huge rock fan, but Powderfinger did their One Night Lonely concert recently over YouTube and Bernard Fanning, the lead singer, then promoted Beyond Blue right at the end of that and talked about the importance of getting help if you're feeling depressed or feeling isolated. And I just thought, you know, wow, well, we've got, you know, rock stars talking about, you know, depression, isolation, mental health issues. So it just, you know, despite that, things like this, it's still a bit of a taboo subject and it's still something which is really highly personal for people. Yeah. And yeah, and it is difficult for people to talk about. And for me, you know, it is one that I approach really sensitively as I do a lot of my inclusive discussions, but mental mm-hmm. health in particular, for me, always starts off as a one-on-one on one conversation. So for me, checking in with all of my staff individually, but being open about my own mental health kind of subtly invites them to divulge any issues that they might be um, facing themselves personally and divulge it in an environment where they can feel safe. And from there, then I can start the conversation to say, well, what do you need? You know, how much are you comfortable divulging this to your manager or to your team? You know, I've had some stuff come out to entire teams and say, well, I suffer from depression and this is what it means for my performance. And I've had others saying, I don't want anybody to know about this, but here's what I need. And, you know, it's horses for courses. So in the cases where people come out, which I really try to encourage people to come out or respect if they don't want to, then, you know, I find staff generally really respectful of that. Where people don't want to come out, it's much harder to, to implement changes. But I just play the old, if I say, look, this person just needs to take, you know, the odd flexi day or the odd, yeah. you know, personal leave day and in a less predictable way. If somebody yeah. goes, well, why do they need to do that in an ignorant way? I say, well, personal reasons or none of your business. And I might yeah. put an expletive in there. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. Exactly. But, but I think effectively for me is, is, is as a leader is saying, I support this and you don't need to know the reasons for this, but you need to respect that, you know, yeah. that this needs to be supported. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So for me, that's worked really well. And in fact, I think it's it's given other managers courage to kind of go, oh, I feel like, yeah, this person does need the day off or does need to skip this meeting for whatever reason. So I'm going to allow them to do that. And I'm going to have the courage and the confidence to say, nope, they don't need to come to this meeting and treat them a bit differently. Yeah. And I think that that's great that you're recognising that treating someone differently is actually an okay thing in a time where it's Absolutely. all equality. We need to be making sure that yes, there's equality, but then we also need to be making sure that we're supporting people in a way that they that we can, so that they are able Absolutely. to conduct themselves in in a way that is productive and also fair totally. to them as well. So certainly having that compassion and uh, just on the mental health topic that we're talking about now, we'll put the Beyond Blue links and details in the show notes if anyone is that feeling works. that they need to reach out. So thank you very much for that, Justin. I think that's fantastic that you're bringing it up with your team and let's normalise these kind of conversations Absolutely. and say, 
you know, here, here it is on the table. What do you actually need? What can I do for you? Yep. Um, and how can we move through this together? So I think that's that's such an important discussion to be having all leaders with their teams, absolutely. If yep. we just backtrack a little bit and go back to inclusivity mm. or inclusion. So you mentioned that you do this as part of your own leadership, I guess, blueprint. This is who you are. This is what you're about. It's one of your core principles. Yes. But how do you cultivate inclusion yeah. within your team? Yeah, and, and another key challenge, right, and this is kind of that that in-between bit between your personal leadership and culture change. You know, culture uh-huh. change is, you know, huge and generational and takes a long time for something yeah. to become normalised. And I think that's a really important word, right, is yeah. normalised, not for it to be awkward, not for it to be taboo. Cultivating that within the team is the next best step after your personal leadership. So, you know, for young leaders, new leaders coming in, you can show your personal leadership and the next big challenge is how do we get other people that I'm leading to eschew these same yeah. values? Who's on the bus? Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. And uh, for me, conversations are so important with leaders, you know, is to chance conversations, um, work conversations, team conversations, is to say, this is what we're doing to support our staff. This is what I think we should be doing. Let's talk about this. Being challenged by my team, I think, is really important. Yeah. Um, You know, I've had staff come in, you know, people working directly to me who are also leaders of people say, well, I don't think this person should be getting that. That doesn't seem right. So, well, let's mm. talk about it. What yeah. a great opportunity for a leader in my team that might not understand why I'm saying something as my leader. I'm like, rather than shut them down, that's the perfect opportunity to talk about it and get them on the bus. Rather than pulling them on the bus, they might end up stepping on the bus. And I've had some Don't really... drive the bus while they're no, on no. no. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> I mean, so many ways that particular analogy could go, right? And, <laughs> and for me, you know, I, I think what's worked for me because that's a really hard question to answer deliberately, right? There's no rule book. But I think what's worked for me is generating respect and and trust with people that I'm working with directly. Yeah. And so when I'm passionate and communicating my beliefs and my principles on something, um, they're more likely to engage in that conversation and to, uh, to show some humility and to, to show that I'm wrong. Sometimes I get it wrong. You know, I'm a big fan of I prefer to get something wrong um, in the inclusion space with good intent than not try at all and ignore yeah. somebody, right? So, you know, yeah. I'm happy to be wrong. And I've, I've sometimes, you know, particularly when it comes to gender diversity, it's probably where I'm least confident. And, you know, sometimes I might make a decision or I might make a statement and someone go, oh, actually, I don't think that's quite right. Yeah. Great, because not I'm, not only am I learning, but I'm having a conversation with somebody about it and they might go away with a more open mind. So, so for me, it's kind of that trickle-down effect. People that I supervise, I can kind of eschew these values, have these discussions, kind of gradually get them on the bus, so to speak, and then all going well, they start to have those conversations. And with those generational changes, eventually we get culture change, right? But conversations is key, Uh, you know, talking about it, challenging those discussions, being afraid to maybe say something that's a bit inappropriate or, you know, or a little bit bigoted or or biased, you know, it's okay. Like you might not, a lot of this is unconscious, right? So you might say something where you might go, oh, actually, actually, I feel feel a bit bad about saying that. Yeah, exactly. But you say it and then you understand a bit more about why you shouldn't have said it. And yeah, that's that's huge. I think there's actually a really great key lesson that you just touched on there for all emerging leaders is that you don't need to know all of the answers. It's totally. lesson one, probably two yeah. lessons actually. And the second one is when you get it wrong, just call it and say, you know what, I made a mistake. Yep. Yep. Whoops. Um, I'll try again better. How can we fix this problem? So yep. it's so important to, to know as leaders and for any up and coming and emerging leaders, you don't need to know all of the answers. You don't need to be right. 100% of the time is absolutely okay. 
okay to uh, make mistakes. Just own them. Own them. To, for what to they own are. them. Exactly. And and that shows that you know you're a person too. You yeah. know, for me, people say to me, "Oh, well, you know all about this," and I'm like, "Well, actually, I don't." And if the minute I say I know all about this, is probably the minute I start becoming unconsciously biased again. Ah, right? yeah, yeah, good. Keep the open mind. Always be willing to learn and be corrected or be challenged on things. You know, I really love it when people come up to me after my talk and I say, actually, you know, a lot of people come up if I if I do a speaking engagement and say, wow, that was excellent. But occasionally I'll have somebody come up and say, well, look, I didn't really agree with that. I'm like, excellent. Why? Why yeah. didn't you win? What's your viewpoint? And let's have that chat. And um, yeah. I'm always learning. And if I'm always learning, people that I'm leading see that they can always learn as well. Yeah, so lead, really lead by example and also totally. taking in, yeah. into um, account other people's perspectives and different lenses that we have from, you know, whether it's generational or whether it's from our own childhood conditioning, yeah. we've got so many different perspectives here and there is totally. no right yeah. or wrong way. It is all very much unique, but being able to recognise that that's what it is and then coming to some kind of way forward as well. So we were talking a little bit before I hit record here. You've got three kids. They're at home at the yes. moment on school holidays, but, you know, yes. you're such an advocate for inclusion at, in the workplace. What are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm a mum of four, so raising decent human beings is like top yeah. of my priority list as a mother and Alex and I have got it as such a high priority, particularly having four boys. Yeah. How are you teaching your kids around inclusion in school um, with their friends? How are they? How are you doing this? Yeah. And these, these are people that you have direct influence over right and I I always say um, you know children are a reflection of their parents values so you know if you see you see another kid um, at school and you go they're a bit of a brat or whatever they go well I don't blame the kid right I blame the environment in which they're being brought up and but I tend not to judge like that don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah you you know for for our own kids it it was really I mean choice of school was really important we were really keen they go to private school and we're we're lucky enough where we've got incomes to support you know the choice of school that our kids go to but we we sent all of our kids to inner city schools and a key driver for that was how diverse the schools are so being city schools you have people come from all over adelaide you know yeah. that it's not like a suburban or a parish school not a zone um, school not a zone school yeah and with that comes a huge amount of diversity and i know the principal of my daughter's school so saint my daughters go to saint aloysius college would be more than happy for me to mention this here is that saint aloysius <laughs> college on St. Aloysius College, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, have, I have no conflict. I'm on the advisory council, but I have no conflict of interest with St. Aloysius College. But they are a fabulously diverse college and um, they do a lot for school card children and as well a lot for refugee children and immigrant children. And, yeah. I mean, that's really important for my girls and for all the girls at the school, I imagine, to see that the world is built up of people that look different, behave differently, speak different, have different accents different cultural backgrounds, different religions. So that's it has been fundamental to it. So my daughters and my son's starting to learn this as well, come home, they don't even recognise when people are physically different or have different backgrounds, right? It's yeah. just part of their being. It's just who they are and and diversity is actually just, they're just people. And then I've had the same similar conversations yep. with one of uh, my kids. There's a, a Sudanese family at our school and he was yep. talking about one of the kids. I'm like, who are you talking about? He's like, oh, guy with the red shoes. And I'm like, yep. who has got red 
shoes and it finally clicked and I was like, oh, okay. So it was just yeah, like, I all the kids are all the yeah. same and there's no yeah. one different, skin colour doesn't matter and the, yeah. the real um, identifying factor was that this kid had really cool red shoes. Yeah, like, that's right. Whereas for me as a kid, I might have gone, oh, the black kid. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, and that's and, and that for me, that's a really good point, right? Because that's that for me is is a real marker that, you know, we that we're getting, we're heading in the right direction is that Absolutely. they don't even notice. Yeah, um, I can learn a lot from my kids for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the other thing we do when, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but we do try to do things with our kids that promote diversity and inclusion. So, you know, around the dinner table, you know, where one of our rules is we don't have the TV on during dinner and no devices. Yeah. You know, really important to have that time where we can all talk. And we'll often talk about things related to inclusivity and, and diversity and mental health as well. Like I've got a young son and he's pretty angsty. And so we like to promote these discussions, but around diversity and inclusion, you know, I'll talk about Ricky and talk about, you know, what he's doing. We often talk about, you know, my wife and I, we might watch a TV show. We watch, you know, quite a few documentaries around this sort of stuff. And something we're watching at the moment is Filthy Rich and Homeless. Uh, and okay. So, you know. Where's we'll, that streaming? Yeah. So that's on SBS, SBS. Um, streaming on SBS. Yeah. And we've, we've been talking about that and we actually got the kids watching a couple of episodes just to talk about, you know, the privilege of, you know, having a roof over our heads and food on the table. And yeah. so for us, it's actually just having those conversations and explicitly telling our kids these are values that we accept and that these are things that are important to us as parents and these are why they're important and these are, you know, and hopefully our kids, which they are, they take those values as well. And, you know, my elder, she will go to school and say, oh, my dad, you know, went and, and spoke at this thing and they were talking about this. And, and it's great because then the teachers will have a conversation with me and they're really, they're like sponges, right? So for yeah. me, it's, it's quite an easy target because you can tell them, well, this is what's really important and, and those yeah. types of things. But for our kids, it really is just telling them, you know, instilling in them in them that kindness is all that matters. So so long as their actions and their way they interact with people is based in kindness, then everything yeah. else kind of falls out, right? Yeah. It's that for me, making it simple, you know, they don't necessarily understand. They might understand Indigenous history, but they don't have the emotional capacity to understand around generational disadvantage from stolen generation or generational disadvantage of people living with a traumatic past or PTSD. Mm. What they do mm. understand, if you'd be kind to somebody, yeah. um, then they'll be kind to you and this is a nice way to live your life. And yeah. that, for me, distilling it down to that um, has been really important. And they're pretty good kids, right? You know, they can be selfish at the, as, on occasion and those types of things, but I think in their heart of hearts, they're all three pretty kind young humans. <laughs> You're bang on with the kindness. I think kindness is actually the key to pretty much humanity. If we yes. could all focus on just being kind, and I know that that's simplistic, but if we could all just focus on being kind, I think that would have such a huge impact on not just the workplace, on, you know, home life, on workplace, on society, yeah. on our communities. You know, kindness is definitely the key to moving forward and being absolutely. connected. I absolutely love, yeah, love abso- that. Absolutely, yeah. So what would be then for your up and coming, I know that you uh, manage a team of leaders and, and yep. quite a large team at the Australian Bureau of Stats, but what would be your five top tips for upcoming and emerging leaders? Yeah, so I love this. So cracking question, Ali. Um, oh, good. Yeah, so, there, and I think these are tips. What I've loved as a leader is just having little quotes or little hooks in my head that just remind me that, oh, no, remember this and apply, the, how does this principle or how does this little hook apply in a situation? So, yeah. so I've brought some together in prep for this. And, oh, good. Yeah, so the first one is um, that the equality you see in two people is not reflective of 
of their struggle. This is one, and this is the Ricky story for me. So Ricky now is um, this is the Aboriginal man that's work was working in my team that's mm-hmm. um, living with disability. He is somebody that is doing really well. You know, he's got his own house. He lives independently. He's holding down and performing well on a permanent, really good job. And so people might say, "Well, he's fine. We don't. He's he's doing fine. We don't need to do anything for him." And that's not the case, right? He is fine and he's doing really well, but that's only because he's had the support and the resilience and the tenacity to do well and to overcome those challenges. And he'll continue to need that support to continue to do well. So for me, it's kind of don't look at things at face value. Understand where they've come from is really important. Yeah, um, I think that's a common mistake people can make, is particularly when it comes to Indigenous disadvantage. To go, well, you know, an Aboriginal person today is not disadvantaged like Aboriginal people born 100 years ago, but that's absolutely not true. They are subject to similar disadvantage. Well, actually, subject to different disadvantages, but disadvantages all the same. So yeah, so and that's cult- my first- cultural and conditioning beliefs from childhood as well. Yeah, it's it's exactly uh, yeah yeah, and and this is the sort of thing that over time, and I would love to see this in my lifetime, is to see that those cultural disadvantages, those cultural biases, don't exist anymore. So so that's my yeah. first one. All right, first and one. I think that's yes. that's my that's that's one of a favourite of mine. The next one is that uh, I put up a LinkedIn post the other day about this is be the first penguin right I saw that I loved it yes explain that yeah so this story came from and I think I saw this at another talk but it really stuck was you know imagine thousands hundreds of thousands sometimes I think with penguins standing on the iceberg you know I've done documentaries about this and they're all wanting to dive into the water but they're worried about the seal that might come and eat them right and none of them will dive into the water but eventually one penguin dives in and then the second one dives in then the third then they're all diving in and it's a swarm of penguins in the ocean right and they got to where they need to get to and for me that's what culture change is about you know culture change doesn't happen until one person makes a change don't wait for policy to come out and say this take is okay the plunge. Yeah. yeah take the plunge exactly don't wait for the training to come out don't wait for your boss to come out and say we must all behave in this way just do it right you know do what is right do what is kind be that change be that person that does something slightly differently and the next penguin might jump in and those types of things so be the first penguin is really the first penguin. I feel like yeah. I could be on a mug. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this story came from, the reason why I posted it was I had this, this very similar conversation with a colleague and she was really taken by that. And so she had a little badge made up for me that I could oh. put on my lanyard. Yeah, it was really, oh, really good. special. I know. It was a lovely moment. And I thought, no, I've got, I have to share this. So if, if she was impacted, let me brag about the fact she made me a little badge. Yeah, for um, sure. I love it. Yeah, thank you. So that was a, that's, that's one I'm really a big fan of. Another one is about diversity and inclusion is more than just people that are marginalised. So, you know, everyone's different, right? I might speak to three different women on gender disadvantage and get three totally different stories and experiences. Mm. Or I might speak to somebody like a white middle-aged man like myself and hear about their own struggles or their own background. So diversity is about everyone. You know, everyone is different. And something for me, you know, working in a large government institution and quite an analytical one, you know, I've heard over my career people not being the right fit for this organisation or they're a bit of a square peg
pegging a round hole, right? <laughs> yeah, I see you putting your hand up there, Ali. Yeah, I mean, this is be. the thing. Yeah, this is the thing, right? You hear about it. And for me, I really challenge that. And the quote, the hook I have in my head here is, you know, when it comes to square peg in a round hole, I say change the hole. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't, being a square peg in a round hole doesn't mean there's something wrong with the peg, right? Yeah. It means it means we should change the shape of the hole. And, and that, that, for me, practically means, you know, find a way to create or architect roles or responsibilities that suit somebody's strengths or preferences. Find a way to fit them into a team in a complementary way. Like, go out of your way to say, well, this is how this person prefers to work. Yeah. And I think actually that will complement this other person really well and be explicit about that. And it comes back to extending the analogy, forcing a square peg into a round hole damages the peg and the hole. So, oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. think of it that way. That's good. Yeah. I like you know, it. Yeah, because, you know, if you force somebody to do something yeah. in a role or fit into a culture or fit into an environment that they're not comfortable, they'll suffer from stress or anxiety and that's very personally damaging. But then the team sees that there's no acceptance here and, you know, are they going to be yeah. comfortable being slightly different as well? So really yeah. important to change the whole. So yeah. that's a really, that's and, a really big And I'm a one. huge advocate as well for shining up people's strengths. You know, there's, there was totally, a common, yeah. you know, doing a SWOT analysis, which is like your strengths yep. and weaknesses. And I think, you know what, you don't need to work on your weaknesses. Someone else's yep. strengths are going to be your weaknesses. Yep. So let them do that and let them have their genius zone. Absolutely. And you just work on your strengths because that is where your energy is at. That's what you're good at. And uh, shine those things up, I reckon. Shine the strengths Absolutely. Sure. There's absolutely nothing wrong with people wanting to work with to their strengths. And, you know, in, in some cases, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that people not wanting to work on certain areas of their leadership or management, for example. So mm-hmm. some people may be strong analytically and not that interested in supervising teams and that type of thing. That mm-hmm. might be a barrier to pursuing certain career options, right? So yeah. let's be open about that to say, well, you're not going to be head of our people management and wellbeing section, but that might be okay. They might go, sure, I don't want to do that job anyway. So there's totally fine for people to work to their strengths. I absolutely agree. And I do sometimes think, particularly in government um, or in large organisations, we get so focused on development that the focus becomes on weakness rather than on strength. 100% bang yeah. on. Uh, and what's your fifth one? Now, this is quoting, I save the best to last, this is quoting, and I hope I can do this on your podcast, this is quoting Harry Potter. Oh, uh, of course so you can. Albus Dumbledore said that it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. Oh, so, And I love that line. And, you know, this is all about Harry Potter having the most awkward and horrible of upbringings, you know, as an orphan, living in a horrible household, being bullied his whole life, being different, you know, coming to Hogwarts and, you know, being pointed at, you know, but he grows to be this wonderful young man who does lots of wonderful things. And Dumbledore's principle was, well, he's going to provide the environment and the support that Harry needs to, to grow into this wonderful young man. And that, for me, represents growth and diversity and inclusion and um, yeah. beats anything any of our philosophers said hundreds or thousands of years ago, right? It, it really encapsulates for me. Everyone's born as they are and it's the onus is on the people around them to, to let them become their best person. Yeah, create the environment that can nurture for them to grow into yeah. who they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love 100%, 100%. it. 100%. Well, amazing. Thank you so much for all your time today. Uh, Justin, Brilliant. this has been an awesome discussion around inclusion Excellent. and diversity Excellent. and uh, I love your insight. So if anyone is looking to, I guess, connect with you or get in touch with you, where can they find you? Oh, look, LinkedIn is the best way. So look me up on LinkedIn. So Justin Lockhorst, L-O-K-H-O-R-S-T. You should be able to find me that way. Always happy to connect. If I've said something that 
you want to challenge or add to, please get in touch. I'm always happy to shoot the breeze on this stuff. Awesome. I loved it. Loved riffing with you today, Justin. If you wanted to get any more information about this episode or the show notes, you can go to amadeformore.com.au forward slash zero nine. Thanks again, Justin. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. You're a legend. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.